Okay. The uh, first reading is from Second Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. The second reading is Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. The third reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. <clears throat> and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And the last reading is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate that. Appreciate Rick opening God's Word for us this morning, and I love that we're walking through the Bible together, that we are tethering our lives to His Word and what His Word says. And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the Gospel reading in Mark chapter 9, and that's where we'll be today. And also, if you could get out your bulletins as well, because on the back of your bulletins, it's blank for you to take notes. There is a pen in front of you so that you can uh, take some notes with that, but also the cover-to-cover questions are in there for you. If you want to study those on your own, you can do that. If you want to do it as a family, because our children are learning the the same thing that we are today, and so if you want to do that as a family or as a small group, I know our women uh, do it on Wednesday nights, and uh, so any other small groups that want to use that, you're more than welcome to do that. I like social media. I'll be honest. I'm an extrovert. I I love connecting with people, and and so I like Facebook. I I like being connected in a a variety of different ways, especially with our church family. It's kind of a a fun thing to do. Now, I like social media, but I also realize that um, we're careful what we put on Facebook. We're only going to put the best of our lives on Facebook, and we're going to save the very best pictures that we have for Instagram. And then even then, on our very best pictures, we're still going to use all the filters to make it look even better than it actually is. But we save the best for social media. And there's a hashtag out there called real life. And and so you look at uh, people that put things on real life, and even some of that is filtered because they know the world is watching. And since I've been thinking about social media, I was thinking about Jesus, I wonder if Jesus would have had an Instagram account. I wonder what he would have posted. I wonder who his followers would have been, what some of the comments would have been. 
We read about the transfiguration today. Could you see Jesus on the trans- Mount of Transfiguration? His clothes and his face and his hair just shining with the glory. And he just whips out the phone for a selfie real quick. Post it on Instagram. Hashtag transfiguration. Hashtag power and glory. Hashtag awesome sauce. Hashtag no filter. You know, whatever. I don't know. But it, could you imagine Jesus doing that? Me neither. Because it was a private moment. It's a powerful moment. It's a transitional moment in the life of Jesus. But it was a private moment just for them, but now it's for us today. Jesus said, I want you to save this one for later because it was in that moment that his pre-incarnational glory was revealed just for a moment, that heavenly glory that he came from. And it was probably the most glorious moment of his earthly life. It, It was revealed who... Jesus was. It was like the Father just lifted the corner of the veil of heaven just for a moment, just so that the disciples could see. And not all the disciples, just three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they could see him in his glory. But it's also a moment of transition because from this moment on in Jesus' life and ministry, he's going to point toward the cross. And he's going to move toward his mission and the reason that he came. When Peter, James, and John see the glory of Jesus, it was just a taste of his boundless glory. It's what they could comprehend. It's what God's been doing since the very beginning, giving us pictures of himself in in the way that we can see, in the way we can know him. He only can reveal a little bit. I mean, if he revealed his whole glory to us, not only could we not comprehend it, we, we couldn't stand it. We couldn't endure it. And so from the Old Testament on, he's been just lifting that veil ever so much. We even saw it in our Old Testament reading with, the, with uh, Elijah and Elisha. Just for that moment, Elisha saw what it's like to go into heaven. And so we see these pictures that God gives us. And so J- Peter, James, and John could comprehend, they could endure, and also they could be pushed a little bit to, to know more about Jesus, his glory, and his majesty. And so I want to Look at this marvelous transfiguration from two perspectives. One from God's perspective, Jesus' perspective, and from our human perspective, since Jesus wanted us to know this story in his word. Here's a, a truth. That God desires spiritual intimacy with us. He desires spiritual intimacy with us. But intimacy is difficult. To be honest with you, even though we were created for a relationship with God and designed for that relationship, everything within our sinful self fights that because we don't want to give the effort that it requires. We don't want the transparency that it requires. We we don't want to express our need or our brokenness. We don't want to admit our fear or our sorrow. And so like Adam and Eve who ran and hid from God and sewed some fig leaves together to cover up, we, we just carry it on today. Now, we don't use fig leaves like they do. You know what we use? Masks. We, we wear these masks like we got it all together, like we're tough. We don't need any help. We're going to be okay. And this fear of intimacy goes far beyond God. Because if we were truly honest, we, we don't want to be known by anybody. We don't really want true intimacy, even with our spouses, our friends, our family, at work, at school. Definitely don't want it at church. 
We're afraid for people to know us and how we really are. We're scared to be known. We're fear of the consequences of, of being found out. If, if they really knew who I was, and guess what the enemy's going to come? He's going to come and exploit that to the max. He's going to try and say, yeah, you can't, you can't take the mask off. You can't let your guard down. You can't have that true intimacy with God or anyone else. Yet God loves you. He knows you completely, and he wants you to be honest and you show yourself to him. God is always calling us out of our hiding. It's like, come out of your hiding. I, I want you to know me and me know you. And, and Jesus continues to call us and engage us into spiritual intimacy with him. He's always calling us to experience him. He wants to see our, our faith strengthened. He wants to bring healing and wholeness. He wants us to drop the mask and walk in our true identity. He wants you to know him so that you can be who you're called to be. So why did Jesus bring these three disciples to the transfiguration? Well, there's going to be a statement on the screen, and I, I think this isn't just for the disciples. This is for all of us here today, and that's that this world, be there. we live in a world that's not the whole story. There's something more beyond just this world, beyond just this plane in which we live, and he wanted to bring them there to build their faith. Did it change them completely? No, they still failed. They weren't perfect after this. They, they still dropped the ball. Peter will deny Jesus. James and John will keep arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. But something happens in their life at this moment and throughout their life that it, it begins to change them, and, and their intimacy with Jesus grows. And, and it comes to the end where Peter is writing in his epistles, We've beheld his glory. We know him. We've seen his glory. John talks about how Jesus is all-powerful and that no one took his life from him. He laid it down. He was too glorious and too powerful for anyone to take it from him. He laid it down. And in the transfiguration, not only do we know that there's something more, we also have an unwelcome message and the transfiguration as well. And that actually comes from Luke's gospel and his telling of the transfiguration. Because in Luke's gospel, it tells us why Moses and Elijah are there. They're talking with Jesus about his departure. They're talking to him about the cross. That Jesus must now go to the cross. And, and from this moment on, Jesus is going to talk about the cross. But if you look in your Bibles, if you're in Mark chapter 9, just look back to the chapter right before, Mark chapter 8, and you'll notice that was the very first time that Jesus predicts his death. He tells his disciples, this is why I came, because they think, man, this is awesome. We're, we're feeding people, and we're, we're, we're seeing people healed, and the gospel's being preached, and, and this is great. And Jesus, for the first time, says, guys, this isn't what it's all about. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the cross. And and Peter rebukes Jesus. He says, oh, no, no, Jesus, no, that, that's not going to happen. And then Jesus has to rebuke Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Peter, you got the, the mind of man, not the mind of God. And Jesus has to teach them that, that, there, that there is a cross. And he teaches them in Mark chapter 8, and you can read it this week, that, that we must take up our cross if we want to follow him. And so there's this tension between this marvelous glory and the suffering in this earth, and that becomes the theme of Peter's writings, becomes the theme of Peter's life, this, 
this tension between the glory and the suffering. And he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning of verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There is suffering, yes, but there is a glory coming. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now look at that passage of scripture that's on the screen there, just for a moment. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We look for the glory, don't we? We want the glory. We love the glory. The suffering, not so much, right? Oh, but the glory. Peter liked the glory so much that that he just wanted to stay in the glory, right? I mean, he just, he's like, hey, let's just stay here forever. In our reading from Mark 9, uh, verses 5 and 6, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Okay, look at that. Now, here's the thing. Some, when you don't know what to say, it's okay to be quiet, okay? If you don't know what to say, it's okay to be quiet, but... Who can blame Peter, right? Who wants this moment to end? Who wants the the glimpse that they're having of heaven to stop? I mean, you don't want to let it slip away. You want to hold on to it. You want to grasp it. You want to keep it. I mean, you don't want this moment to stop. I think of Don Piper, who's spoken here many times, and and he wrote the book 90 Minutes in Heaven because he died in a car crash, and he got to visit heaven. And, it, and it's kind of ruined him, and, and he just longs for heaven, and he's alive now. And he says, well, I'll, I'll preach the gospel. I'll, I'll bring as many people to heaven as I can, but I just want to go back. I don't even want to be here. I just want to go back. Who wouldn't want that? But you don't get to live on the mountain. See, the, the life in the world that we live and how we live it every day, this is not the whole story. There's a reality beyond what we see or recognize, and it's glorious beyond all words. And Jesus lifted the veil just for a moment, and and there's moments in our life where he lifts the veil, and we get to see his unspeakable glory, and we need things like that. We need moments like that in worship, or, or when we see God do something in our life, we need it impressed on our mind, because look, there are so few reminders in this life that there's glory coming that there's something better out there. Tim Keller said this, and the quote will be on the screen, Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want, the world we were made for, a world of glory and perfection, a world not marred by sin, the world we all want is coming. That's what's powerful about living the Christian life. That's what's powerful about gathering together on a Sunday morning. 
That's what's powerful about singing our worship because what we're, we're doing right here and right now is we are proclaiming there's something more than just this life. There is something that our hearts long for. There is something greater that is coming. And do not let the enemy lie to you and tell you, well, this is not important and worship is not important and going to church is not important and longing for heaven isn't important and that this is all there is. Don't let the enemy tell you this is all there is. There is a world beyond this one. This world is not the whole story. There is a glory beyond. God has so much more, and we are called to hunger for it. Now, we don't get to live on the mountaintop, but there is a beauty coming beyond all compare. There is a glory beyond what we can see. It is what Jesus won for us and invites us into. And God wants us to see more. He wants us to be hungry for more. He wants us to understand more. I think of the story of Elijah and Elisha, but, but, but then you move into Elisha's life, and, and there's a story where the king is so angry with Elisha, he's going to kill Elisha, and so he sends his army. For one guy, this king sends his whole army against Elisha, and Elisha's servant sees the army coming and is scared to death. Oh my goodness, all these people are coming to kill us. And, and I'll pick it up in 2 Kings chapter 6. It says, do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He said, Lord, open his eyes to see. And what we need to do is pray, God, open our eyes to see the glory beyond just what we're going through. God, we want to see your glory. We want to know your glory. Lord, would you just lift the veil just a bit so we can see your glory. Back to the transfiguration. There is a mention in our reading of Moses and Elijah, but there's not much more said about them. It's just that they were there. Moses is important because Moses represents the law, and he was the greatest leader Israel ever had. And so Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. He is seen by Israel as the greatest prophet, even though Elisha had a double portion. Elijah is just still seen as the greatest prophet of Israel. And so you have the, the law represented and the prophets represented. They're important, but they're not important like Jesus. See, they just point to Jesus. They just reveal Jesus. Jesus, it's only Jesus. Because when God's voice, the Father's voice, comes from heaven, he doesn't say, hey, look at Elijah and Moses. No, he said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Follow him. Know him. It's the uniqueness of Christ. He is the one that fulfilled all the work God requires. He's the one we're called to trust in. And as you study the New Testament, you see that Jesus is our Savior. He's our Deliverer. He's our Friend. He's our Hope. He's our Healer. He's our Provider. He is our Joy. He is our Help and our Strength. He is the Author and Perfecter of our Faith. He is our Victory. And we could go on and on and on, but it is only Jesus that we keep our eyes on and that we follow we need His glory, His power in our life. Imagine if we put our hope in Jesus. Nowhere else, in nothing else but Jesus. What would our lives look like? 
This Wednesday is Valentine's Day, and I'm looking forward to going out to eat with Leslie on Valentine's Day. Now, what if in the middle of dinner I, I look over her and I say, out of the four billion plus women on the earth, probably, of all the women on this earth, you, you are one of my favorite. It's like, eh, you know, like, wrong answer, right? That will not happen. I promise you that will not happen because there, there's only one. If I'm honest, there's only one out of every, there's only one. Listen to me, there's only Jesus. He, he, he has to be it. He is, he is the one that bought the price for us to go to glory. Now, we are going through difficult things in our life right now. I know we are because I look at the prayer requests every week and that is one thing I'm thankful for about social media is staying in touch with people's lives and, and what they're going through and being able to pray with them and stand with them. But think about what you're going through right now, what you're facing right now, what overwhelms you right now. And as you think of that, let me proclaim the message of the transfiguration. And that's this, that this world is not the whole story. This world is not all there is. There is something so much more. And to be honest with you, this will be the worst it ever gets. And I think of the powerful moment that Peter, James, and John had, and then I think about their lives. And it's moments like the transfiguration, moments with Jesus that got them through some of the harshest persecution, through martyrdom. James, the first one that was called to lay down his life of the apostles, the first one that gave up his life. Peter, who was crucified upside down. John, who, who was the last living apostle, but suffered terribly, being boiled in oil and other horrible things that happened to him. And they said, it's a light and momentary affliction that is gaining for us a glory beyond this. This world is not all there is. And we need to get hungry for that glory. We need to get hungry for Jesus. We need to, we need to put our lives into his hands and, and, and proclaim as our testimony. This world is not all there is. There's so much more. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? And with your eyes closed and your head bowed, we're just going to spend some time with Jesus. And I'm asking Leanne to sing a song. And I asked her, we I'd rather not have any other singers or even the band up here. I'd like to just hear this a cappella. As we think about God's word and we, we think about the transfiguration and we, we think about the glory and we think about that veil being lifted just a bit to see. As we think about the struggles that we go through and, and all that we face in this life, I want you to listen to these words because she's going to sing them first and allow them just to sink into your heart and then we'll join her a few times in. But, but it's time for us now to turn our eyes towards Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
ends of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's make it our song and sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for lifting the just the corner of the veil and showing your glory, even today in our lives. And Lord, I just pray that um, as we move into a brand new week and as, Lord, we hunger for you and spend time with you, 
May our song be, turn our eyes upon you, Jesus. We turn our eyes upon you. We look full into your wonderful face. May the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. God, I pray in those moments we would know your glory, we would know your power. That even though we may not be on the mountaintop with you, we will be reminded that this world does not tell the whole story. That there's something so far beyond. Lord, thank you for even speaking to us today. Showing up here today. God, I pray that um, as we spend time with you, the masks would begin to drop. The intimacy would begin to grow. Lord, we, we know we're not perfect. Peter wasn't, James wasn't, John wasn't. Lord, they followed you, and they knew you, and you changed them. So may we follow you and know you, and may you change us. And God, whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, thank you, God, that this is not all there is, that there is so much more. And so, God, we turn our eyes upon you. And Lord, I pray that our lives, each one of our lives, our marriages, our families, our church, that we would be a testimony to this world that this is not all there is. There's so much more. May we lift you high, Jesus, so that you can draw all men unto yourself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, speak to us that we may know you know your ways. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look forth in his singing that the first time through, I don't know about you, but I was like, man, I wanted to take my shoes off. It was like holy ground.
And, um, and sometimes it's just good to wait on the Lord, to have a little time, quiet in his presence, and allow him to speak. And, and today he spoke through the gift of tongues and interpretation and a prayer. And God gives us words. He speaks to you. These are signs that God has given us. And he speaks through his word on, that these are signs that we may know that he is speaking to us. So if you have any questions about that, I'm up here afterwards. We can talk about it. But I love that God is speaking. Tuesday night was wonderful. Uh, with Steve Sampson here teaching us how to hear the voice of God. I mean, it was moving in a very powerful way Tuesday night. And I know that God's going to be speaking even more as we move forward.